There it is. It's good to be here tonight. I'm glad you're here. And on behalf of my wife, Emily, and my daughters, Blakely and Julia, we appreciate very much the hospitality you've shown us and letting us come here and the invitation we have to uh, spend some time with you all. We've enjoyed the singing. We've enjoyed uh, all of our time so far and just uh, really looking forward to the rest of this week. Appreciate the opportunity to speak to you from God's Word and I'm glad that we're finally here. We're finally able to do this. You know, it's been a couple times that it, we kind of started and didn't work out, but we're finally able to do it. And it's a blessing to be here. And hopefully we'll have some things to say which will be encouraging and edifying to you this weekend. Most of the sermons this weekend are going to be a series of studies on Old Testament characters who teach us New Testament or Christian principles. And so tonight, I want to talk about Solomon. But before I go in great detail about Solomon, I want to start actually in the book of Deuteronomy, hundreds of years before Solomon. We're going to read verse, chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. So if you'd like to read along with me, it's not going to be on the board. Most of the scriptures will, but this one won't. Deuteronomy chapter 17, we'll start in verse 14. It says starting in verse 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 17, if this phone will work. Here we go. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. So this passage gives us instructions that the king of Israel was supposed to follow before there were even kings, hundreds of years before there were kings, before there were even judges. This here in the book of Deuteronomy basically prophesied there was going to be a king and told the king the kind of things that he was supposed to do, the things that he was supposed to gather, the things he was not supposed to gather, the, things that, the way that he was supposed to rule. And we see some interesting things here, particularly when we think about King Solomon and what he did. But let's talk about these principles. It says that the king was not to accumulate many horses. Why not? Why can't a king accumulate horses? You'd think that a king would be allowed to accumulate horses. You may be familiar with this, but there's a recurring theme in the Bible that to gather a large army, to gather many horses and chariots, is a way for the king to rely on the strength of his army instead of trusting in God. Here's a couple of passages that illustrate this. Psalms 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So if a king got a large army, got a large number of chariots and horses, he would trust in those instead of trusting in God. He would lift himself up with the pride of his own army and the strength of his own might instead of turning to God and relying on Him. Likewise, Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Let's see if this nope, doesn't do anything. That's all right. So, 
For the king to accumulate many horses and chariots for himself would be a way for him to rely and trust in his own strength instead of turning to God. And by doing so, he's lifting himself up with pride. He's thinking that he is strong, he is powerful, and he's not trusting in God. He's not humbling himself, is he, before God? I want you to consider 1 John chapter 2. Now it's not doing anything at all. I messed it up. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Maybe I turned it off. <laughs> oh, well. If you want to turn along the Bible, it'll be there. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. There it goes. So think about the three things that the Bible says here in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. A person loves the world and worldly things instead of trusting in God. There it goes. I think it's working now. Instead of loving God, then the love of the Father is not in him. So the passage is very clear about worldliness and loving things of the world. And for the king, in this case, to accumulate many horses and chariots would be a way for him to be lifted up with pride and correlates to the pride of life. And I think you'll see as we look at this that each of the things that the Bible tells us that the king is not to accumulate or multiply to himself correlates to one of these three worldly things. The commandment was for the king not to accumulate many wives. Well, why not? He's very clear about that. He says that if a king accumulates many wives, then they turn away his heart from serving God. And that's a worldly thing that correlates to the lust of the flesh, and I'll explain that in just a moment. The Bible says the king was not to accumulate much gold and silver. Why not? Well, because he would become greedy and he would trust in those riches instead of trusting in God and he'd desire those things and his desire would be for things that he could see and for things that he could enjoy. Solomon himself said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. So what profit have the owners thereof except to see them with their eyes. And I may be switching back. I'd recently changed to the New King James Version, so if I, a little bit of King James sw- uh, slips in, that's why. But Solomon said, silver is not going to be enough. You're going to want more, and you're going to want more, and you're going to want more. And eventually, you're going to get to the point where you have everything you need, and, and you know everything more that you get, all you're going to be able to do is just look at it. So this correlates to the lust of the eyes. So we have these three things that the king was not to accumulate. Horses, wives, and gold. It correlates to the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. The king was commanded also to write and read a copy of the book of the law so that he would not be lifted above his brethren and so that he would know the laws and be able to teach them to his people. And so these were the commandments given to Israel hundreds of years before there ever was a king. And they said, this is the kind of thing that a king ought to do. And there are certain things that he should not accumulate. He should not multiply for himself. And we're considering tonight Solomon, and we're going to see that Solomon broke every single one of these three things that God told him not to accumulate. But before, he, or when he became king, God asked Solomon, he said, what, what would you like me to bless you with? What, what would you like me to do for you? Isn't that kind of an amazing thing? If God came to you and said, how would you like to be blessed? You get an opportunity to be blessed in some way. And Solomon responded that he wanted to have wisdom to be able to judge amongst his people. And God was pleased with that response. And we'll see what he says there in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, 
nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there's been none, there's not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and keep my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Think about that for just a second. God said that he was pleased with his response, this request that he would have wisdom, and he said, you know what? You asked this because you gave, asked that, I'm going to give it to you. But not only am I going to give you that, but because you didn't ask for the life of your enemies or a long life, and you didn't ask for this power and, and, and riches and things like that, I'm going to give you those things too. And so what a great opportunity. Imagine that you're Solomon, and God says, I'm going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches, and I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you a long life. Wow. Wouldn't, and you're going to be king? No one's going to be king like you. What an amazing thing. You know, if we were blessed that way, that would be amazing. But we need to remember that with great blessings also comes great responsibility. The fact that he was blessed in this way means that he needed to use those things to the glory of God. And that's true of us too. When it comes to the blessings that we have, do you use everything that God gives you to His glory? His the, the glory of the Lord, the passion of the church, as we'd saying. That should be our goal, to glorify God. And that should have been Solomon's goal. Solomon didn't do that in a lot of ways. We, by violating the commandment that God gave the king back in Deuteronomy. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 26-28 shows us that Solomon, even though he was commanded not to accumulate many horses, did just that. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. And Kiva, the king's merchants, brought them at Kiva at the current price. Exactly the thing that God told the king not to do in Deuteronomy. Don't gather for yourself many horses. Solomon just did just that. He got a, a huge army. And he didn't have to do that. He should have humbled himself. He should have trusted in God. He could have read about Gideon and how Gideon didn't have to have a huge army to defeat the Midianites. And he could have mustered one quickly and defeated whoever he might have been going up against in battle. Why? Because God was on his side. But he didn't do that. He trusted in his army. He trusted in those chariots. He trusted in those horses. And he gathered those things for him, lifting himself up with pride. Violation of God's commandment. Well, what else? The king was commanded not to accumulate much gold and silver. We know Solomon did that too. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14 says, The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. A talent is like a huge big like weight or something. You know, it's, it's a massive amount. And I did some rough math. I am not a mathematician. My parents were mathematicians. I, didn't, I guess I didn't inherit that gene. But I tried to do some rough math. Figure that the gold that he brought in in a year would be worth over $1.3 billion in today's dollars, in today's money. $1.3 billion every single year worth of gold. And that's amazing. That's massive. And you may say, well, but didn't God say that he was going to bless him with gold? And, and I think that's very true. But again, with great blessings comes great responsibility. 
So when God gave him a lot of gold and a lot of riches, what should he have done with that? He should have used that to the glory of God. We'll see that a lot of things that he did was not done to the glory of God, but rather to satisfy himself. He did do some public works for Jerusalem. He was able to complete the wall, and he worked on the temple, and he flooded Jerusalem with wealth so much that silver was said to be like rocks in the street. Everyone dwelt under their own vine and fig tree. No one made them afraid. They were safe. They were prosperous. They lived in a, in a prosperous land, but he also taxed the people. The Bible talks about his taxation of the people. And the Bible talks about his excess and the way that he lived his life. He said himself in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was the reward from all my labor. He said, anything I wanted, I got. And that's just an amazing thing. You know, we, normal people don't live that way. I did see a documentary a while back about this famous singer, and he was in an art museum, and, and he was so rich that all he had to do was just say, well, I want that painting. That's a beautiful painting. Bring that into my house. Or I want that statue. Or I want this sculpture, whatever it was. And he had someone write it down, I guess, and pay for it later. It didn't matter how much it costs. He was so rich, he could get whatever he wanted. And that's kind of how I see Solomon. He said, whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. The Bible tells us that Solomon built himself either multiple houses or one great house with the square footage of about 12,500 square feet. And, you know, that's based on cubits. So, you know, roughly 12,500 square feet of floor space, 45 feet tall. And in this great house, he filled it with 500 shields and targets of gold. Think about that. Huge room. Filled with 500 targets of shields and gold. 500 shields and gold. 500 targets and shields of gold. What good is that going to do? You can't use a gold target or gold shield. It's just something pretty to look at. It's something to, to show off his wealth. Imagine how much that even one target or shield of gold would have helped the people. He didn't do that. He accumulated things for himself. Bible tells us that he built a throne of ivory and he covered it in gold with 12 lions on the steps. The Bible says that all his drinking vessels were made out of gold. Just an amazing amount of, of wealth and excess. And he, you know, he didn't have to do that. We often hear stories of people who are very rich, but they live a relatively modest lifestyle. And they give to charity and they do good things to help other people. And it reminds me of the story an example of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. If you want to look at it in the Bible, I'm going to draw a crude map, and you'll have a better map in your Bible. You know, I know a guy who talks about people who know their Bible so well. They know it from cover to cover. They know it from the book of Genesis to the book of Maps. And so if you have your Bible, you might turn to the book of Maps, and you'll see in Israel the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River flows through there and there's the Dead Sea and I'm not an artist either, didn't get that gene. I think my brother got that one. But the Jordan River flows through 
from the north through the Sea of Galilee, and then it goes back down again from the south and goes down into the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. And the Dead Sea is no natural outlet. So all the water that comes into there just stays there until it gets evaporated out. And all the salt and all the minerals and all the stuff that's in the water stays behind. And it comes to an equilibrium in that climate where it's about over 30% salt. And it's so salty that nothing can live there hardly. And that's why they call it the Dead Sea. And I want you to think about this example, this illustration. The Sea of Galilee takes in the blessing of the water and it uses it for its purposes and then it gives it back out again. It takes and it gives, but the Dead Sea just takes and it takes and it takes. And along with the blessing of the water comes all the things that go along with it, all the little minerals and pollutions and salt and all those things that gather along with it. And eventually, it starts building up. It starts accumulating. And it doesn't give it back out again, so it gets to the point where it dies. And it corrupts and pollutes it so much that everything dies. And that's a great illustration to us of what can happen if we receive blessings from God and we're not willing to give them back out again. If we take things in and we don't use them to glorify God by helping others, by furthering the work of the church, and we just gather and accumulate and let that build up in our lives, it's going to corrupt us. What about wives? The king was commanded not to accumulate many wives. We know Solomon did that. He's famous for doing that. Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1-5, through 5, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods." And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. You know, we read that. We know that story. We're familiar with that, hopefully. Maybe this is the first time you found out about this, but Solomon had a thousand wives. Think about that for a second. A thousand wives. Why? <laughs> you know, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he could have done what he said they should do in Proverbs and rejoice with the wife of his youth, but it wasn't enough for him. He wanted a thousand. Now, obviously, there is probably some political ploy here. You know, if you marry somebody, a princess, then you're probably not going to go to war with that kingdom, you know. But I want you to notice one part here. Solomon clung to these in love. He loved these women. And I don't think that that means that he had a deep, strong, loving relationship with each and every one of those women like he should have, like we, a husband and wife should have. How can you do that with a thousand people? I think he loved women. I think he had a few, and that wasn't enough for him. And he lusted after more, and he got more, and he got more, and he got more until he got a thousand of them. He loved women. He had a problem with the lust of the flesh. And we think about these three things that the king was commanded not to do. He was commanded not to gather many horses. He was commanded not to gather much gold and silver. He was commanded not to accumulate many wives. It seems inevitable that one of these three things, if not a combination of them, would be the downfall of the king. 
here's a pointer. That'll work. No, nope. yep, there it is. Too late. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. Remember, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This passage makes it clear you cannot love the things in the world and still love God like you should. This is not possible. You can't love worldly things and still have the sort of love of God that you need to. Solomon loved these women. He had a problem with, with lust of the flesh and his heart was torn away from God to worship these false gods and God said that he was going to tear the kingdom in two after he died. And that's exactly what happened. Israel was never the same again after Solomon, the physical kingdom of Israel. One of these three things, if not a combination, was going to be his downfall. And if we accumulate all these things in our life, and that's what we desire, and that's what we love, and we let that pollute us, then it's going to be our downfall too, isn't it? The fact is, the things that you treasure, the things that I treasure, are going to own our hearts. That's what Jesus says, doesn't he? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that I love, the things that I desire, the things that I treasure, the things that I accumulate. I'm going to love those things and they're going to own my heart. If I love godly things, if I love His Word, if I love singing praises to Him, if I love glorifying Him, if I treasure time spent with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then that's the sort of thing that's going to be where my heart is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's the thing that's going to own my heart. But if, on the other hand, I love riches, and I love power, and I love pride, and I love things of this world, lust of the flesh, whatever it may be, then those things are going to own my heart. And they're going to corrupt me. And they'll turn my heart away from God. We must be very careful about the things that we accumulate in our lives, the things we fill our hearts and our minds and our lives with, the things that we value the things that we surround ourselves with. The truth is everything we surround ourselves with is going to make an impact one way or the other, either toward God or away from God. Michael McCorkle has a sermon called Cumulative Effect. He talks about how little things over time can become big things. and You know, it wasn't one extra cookie that made me overweight. That's not how it works. It wasn't one extra trip through the line at, at Potluck. It was lots of extra trips or lots of extra cookies, maybe just one extra, but over time, eventually, just a little bit of overeating can become a big problem. And, I, and, you know, I'm working on that. But, you know, little things over time, they make a big difference. And the little things that we have in our lives, whatever we fill our hearts, whatever we fill our minds, whatever we fill our lives with, over time, they can either turn us toward God or they can corrupt us and turn us away from Him. What about riches? If we accumulate vast riches, it's going to be very difficult for us to trust in God. And I want to be clear, it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to, to make money. It's not wrong, perhaps, to desire that. But if that is our complete goal in life, if that is our desire, if that's what we work toward, and if we focus on that more than we focus on serving God, then it's going to eventually own our heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, 
or thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do not break in and steal. We gather for ourselves riches and riches and riches, and we don't use the blessings God has given us to the glory of God and to help other people, then we'll fall into a trap. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from faith and are greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's so easy to fall into that trap, but don't fall into it. It's a trap. It's a snare. Don't be fall for it. The desire, it's sometimes very easy at times to make money. And our desire, once we get a little bit, is to have more and more and more and starts chipping away at little pieces of our heart and starts taking it. And eventually we find ourselves fully engrossed in it. We must be very careful not to become ensnared in it. Instead, do what the Bible says we ought to do. Again, not wrong to have riches and be rich, but we need to be like the Sea of Galilee. Take those things in and then use them again to help other people, to further the work of the church, to glorify God with our blessings. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And it's not about retirement, and I don't think it's wrong to be prepared and to be responsible and retire. Good foundation for the time to come. I think he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about eternity, laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Being willing to give, being willing to share, ready and willing to be rich and good works. That's the attitude we ought to have with the blessings God has given us materially. What about friendships and the people we associate with? You know, Solomon associated with, with people who worshiped false gods and they turned his heart away from serving God. If we accumulate friends from the world, they are going to have an influence on us one way or the other. And the Bible is pretty clear about that as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I had the opportunity to spend some time with some young people in Gainesville a couple summers ago. Once a week, I'd go to a group of 13 and 14-year-old boys and uh, present some topics of morality for them and talk to them about those topics. And one of the times I talked to them, I asked them, I said, do you think it matters who your friends are? Does it make a difference in terms of, you know, your behavior, who you hang out with, and who you spend time around? And surprisingly, many of them said, no, it doesn't matter. They can't influence me. I'm my own person, and just because they're doing something doesn't mean that I have to do that. You know, I'm my own man. We need to be very careful not to think that. Not to think that we can hang out and associate and accumulate ungodly influences in our life and be immune to the influences. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, I know we can't go out of the world, and that's not what I'm saying. We will have time that we're going to spend with people who are not Christians. But we need to use those as an opportunity to be the light and, and spread the word and evangelize. But when it comes to who we spend our most of our time with, who are our friends, who do we associate with, who do we hang out with? Is it ungodly people who don't worship God, who aren't Christians, who are going to influence us away from God? 
or as brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us, who help us, who sharpen us like iron sharpens iron and spur us on to serve God and spur us on to be better followers of Him. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And that's one of the great blessings God has given us in having our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to sharpen and encourage and spur on each other. Take advantage of it. Spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Become friends with them. Hang out with them. Accumulate those godly influences. And they're going to encourage you and you can encourage them. And we'll all grow closer to God as a result. That's, that's the way it should be. What about entertainment? We accumulate and we gather a lot of things in our life. We fill our hearts and minds with music, television, movies. And I'm not saying, again, any of these things are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. But we need to remember they can make an impact on us. It may not be all at once, but slowly over time, they can even influence us toward or away from God. You know, I've watched television shows. I've been to movies. I've gone to concerts before. And I remember some of them, and I enjoyed them, you know, and, and I have memories of doing that. But some of the greatest memories I have, the fondest and deepest and most fulfilling memories I have, is not movies and TV shows and, and worldly concerts, but it's spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ, doing godly things. I'm glad you're here tonight. You could have done a lot of things tonight. There's all kinds of ways that you could have entertained yourself and spent your free time tonight, but you chose to be here. And you should be commended for that. I, pre I appreciate that. Because it's a great opportunity for you to benefit other people, edify one another, and be edified yourself. And the fondest memories I often have of meaningful experiences, going to meetings, going to singings and singing instructions, spending time in Bible studies, spending time just fellowshipping with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's such a more fulfilling and long-lasting and truly beneficial blessing compared to temporal things, temporal entertainment. Think about the things that you do in your spare time, the way that you spend your life, and try to seek things that are going to be godly and good influences on you. You know, one, more th one thing I want to talk about that we can accumulate in our lives is something uh, that's insidious and something that's very difficult. And that's lustful things. You know, we don't have many wives today like Solomon did, but the lust of the flesh is easy to be fulfilled today in ways that were not available not too long ago. I think about, let's just use the example of pornography. That's something that is easily available, it's relatively private, and it's a big problem. We fill our heart and we fill our life with that, and you may not... That may not be a problem for you, but it is an issue for many, many people. We must not accumulate those lustful things in our life. It's going to own our heart eventually, and it's going to turn our heart away from serving God. What does the Bible say about these kinds of things? Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Therefore put to death, mortify your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's strong. The way he talks about this, that should not be the part, a part of the life of a Christian. And I, I, I want to be compassionate about this because I know that this is something that many people struggle with. And if you do, understand that it's, it can be a struggle. And there are many people out there who have struggled with it in the past. 
but we must put to death those ungodly things. I encourage you to seek out spiritual people in your life, leaders who can encourage you, who can help you, who can pray with you, who can hold you accountable, help you overcome this problem that plagues so many men and women in the church. Do not be afraid to ask for help in this matter because those things can and will destroy your life, destroy your heart, destroy families, destroy churches. Don't let it happen to you. Instead of accumulating these ungodly things in our life, we need to use the great opportunities we have to be blessed with godly influences in our life. The godly things that we can accumulate. Friendships, joyful experiences, God's Word. Remember, God told the king, you know, don't accumulate these things. What should you do? Well, you need to make, no, not just make, write a copy of the book of the law. I got to think about that just the other day. I was thinking, wow, he had to write down a copy of the book of the law. You know, not just listen to it, not put it on audible while you're driving on your commute. He said, write it down. There's nothing wrong with listening to it. I think that's a good thing. We should be reading it. We should be listening to it. And he said to write it, though. He wanted to sink into his heart. When you write something down, if you're listening to someone telling you something or you're making a copy from one to the other, you're seeing it, you're hearing it perhaps, you're writing it, so you're using your, your body, you're using several of your senses to let whatever it is sink in to your heart and sink into your mind. That's what God wanted. And that's the attitude we need to have when it comes to His Word. To let it sink in, not just go in one ear and out the other. But when we do that, when we truly let it sink into our heart, we're going to treasure it, and it's going to own our heart. And the little things that might have taken pieces of our heart are going to melt away because it's Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we hide God's word in our heart, there won't be room for other things that are going to cause us to be tempted and cause us to sin. Fill your life with His Word, and it's going to greatly impact your behavior and help you glorify Him in your words and your thoughts and your deeds. As we close this, this evening, I just want you to think about your life and the things that you fill your life with. Is it worldly things or are they godly things? It's so dangerous when we accumulate ungodly things in our life. And we need to take a lesson from people like Solomon and make sure that we don't fill our hearts and minds with things of the world that are going to turn our hearts away from God, but rather fill them with godly things. Fill them with His Word. Fill them with time spent with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you've accumulated ungodly things in your life and you want to make a change. I encourage you, make a change tonight. Make a decision that you're going to put away those ungodly things, you're going to remove them from your heart, and you're going to fill it with godly things, with good things. And instead, maybe you have a desire for riches and you need to take a lesson from the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, not just take, 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 but give as well. Or maybe there's a problem with lust in your life. We can pray with you. We can pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you tonight. But I encourage you to make a change. Make a decision. Who's going to own your heart? Is it God or is it things in the world? You can't love both. You can't love God and money. You can't love the things in the world and still love God. Make a decision tonight to give your heart fully over to God. And we want to help you. We can pray with you and for you. And if you're not a Christian today, you have a great opportunity to fully commit yourself to Him. Have your sins washed away through the shed blood of Christ. Be redeemed. Become His child and live your life following after Him. 
We can help you do that this evening. If you'll follow the steps necessary to become a child of God, you can have your sins washed away. You can have a hope of a home in heaven. If you haven't done that, now's the time. We encourage you to accept that while you have the opportunity. So we offer those invitations. Take advantage of it if you need that tonight. If you're struggling with any of these things, let us help you and pray with you. Come forward and have a seat in the front row as we stand and sing the song which has been selected. <laughs>